Uh, if it's your first week here, we are on week two of a series titled, A Little Bit of Wisdom Goes a Long Way. And it's the truth that we, we usually only need that one little bit, that one little bit to help correct an attitude. It's a simple word, it's a simple phrase, it's a simple truth. And this study is, is derived out of the book of Proverbs, which is known as a book of wisdom. Last week, we looked at kind of the four main characters of Proverbs and how the first nine chapters is really this call to wisdom. And then starting in chapter 10, going through the rest of the book, are, are these short snippets of wisdom that we can take and we can apply to our lives. And, and here going in, into to week two, really kind of, you know, go with like the word of the day is content. We're going to talk about what it means to be content. And as I was thinking of this, I was thinking about just how different my wife and I are on this. And if you haven't got to meet my wife, her name is Tia. She's amazing. And her and I have some similarities in personality, but we also have some extravagant differences. And we like to joke, because we believe this to be pretty true, that if we had met in high school, we would not have liked each other. I mean, when we first met, I'm not sure that we liked each other. I think within one of our first meetings, I told her that she had an attitude problem, and she gave me the silent treatment. I mean, love was in the air, right, people? It was a beautiful moment. But, but I mean, she was that student in high school where it's like she wanted to score 105 on every exam, on every test, at all times. Now, I can't remember my teacher's names. She could probably tell you her teacher's favorite pieces of candy. Like, I mean, she was that student. I was the student, and she was the second highest GPA in her, her huge high school's class as well. And, and just to tell you how she is about her grades, she, she'll, she'll tell you, well, the person who was above me went to work for NASA. He's a rocket scientist. So I almost was, she can't even deal with that she got second place for her GPA in her high school. She has to use the excuse, he's a rocket scientist now, whatever. Like, that's, that, that's where she was. I was on the other end of the scale. I mean, when I was in my high school math class, I was using what I learned in math to figure out how much math I didn't have to do. I mean, like, I took the weighting of the tests and the homeworks, and I said, okay, if I get Bs on the first three tests and I complete eight out of the 12 homework assignments, then I don't have to do the last four because I'll get a C no matter what, so I'm good. And, and, and that's just kind of how I was because I was content with passing the class. She was content with doing it perfectly. But our, our picture of what content looked like, mine probably wasn't as healthy as hers, but they were different. And, and each one of us have gone through such different life experiences and made it through in some form or fashion where, where we have a, a different picture of what contentment looks like and feels like. Some of us have settled for something, and we, we probably should be discontent with our current level of contentment in so many areas of our life. And some of us, we don't have a healthy picture of what it looks like to be content. Some of us, we have so many great things in our life, but we still just don't feel settled yet. There's part of us that just hungers for something different, and we need to look around and kind of absorb all of the blessings that God has given us. So we're, we're going to look at some things about being content, and our main passages are going to be from Proverbs 19, Proverbs 14, and Philippians 4. So if you're someone who likes to follow along in your own Bible, Proverbs 19, Proverbs 14, and Philippians 4 is where we're going to be going today. Yes, last week, one of the main things that we looked at, because Proverbs says it's the beginning of wisdom, is fear of the Lord. This concept of having a right view of who God is. And building on that, Proverbs 19, 23 says, the fear of the Lord leads to life. 
Then one rests content, untouched by trouble. Fear of the Lord, it leads to life. And this is that truth that it really starts off with. The beginning of wisdom is first getting that correct picture of who God is and the role that he's supposed to play in your life. That's where things start. So often we, we want to get to the point where it's like, okay, I just feel full of life and alive and refreshed and happy and joyful. And we want to get those things. And so we, we say, okay, some of this stuff makes us happy. Let's buy some of this stuff. And we try to take all these shortcuts to get into this place of contentment and joy and fulfillment. And we, we miss the step. Some of us will even say, okay, I'm going to start going to church services or I'm going to go to a small group or I'm going to go help pick up litter or I'm going to get involved in this different spiritual activity. And we think that by these activities, we're going to find joy, we're going to find contentment, but we miss the foundation. We miss the very first step that Scripture teaches us is that first understanding that, that relationship with our Heavenly Father, that's the thing that everything else gets built upon. That fear of the Lord, that right relationship with him, that's what first leads to life. And that's the foundation that all of these habits, all of the spiritual disciplines are built upon is first getting your relationship with God right. It starts there and then you can start building. And and so one of the things I say that, you know, does God have the right place in your life? And, And there's this initial reaction of, well, I know that he's God and I know that I'm not, which that's a great place to start. Like, understanding you're not up there, but kind of where the rubber meets the road in that conversation, I mean, there's just some some basic questions. You know, does God's word, when it collides with your opinion, who wins out? When, When your emotions draw you towards something that you know God doesn't want you to do that, I mean, fear of the Lord, this respect, this reverence for who he is, it pushes us in this way of, I know that I need to to walk in his ways. I need to follow his instructions. I need to heed his words. The way a child acts when his father is in the room, watching him, knowing you were given instructions, are you going to follow through? When we say that God is in his position in in, in our life, that he's in his right position, when God's word meets our opinions, who wins? Does God have his place in your life? Now, but not just our own opinions, but the opinions of other people, because it's, it's a strange thing that when we know the direction that our life should be going, when someone else says, hey, you don't need to get so serious about that, or hey, why don't you just come do this instead, instead of you know, going to church or being involved in what you're supposed to be involved in, investing in your family, I mean, you pick the thing. You know at your stage in life what God is calling you to invest yourself into. And when someone persuades you and pulls you out of it, which opinion is going to win? And I've told you, I'm not not the the person who says you've got to be in church every single Sunday or else you're losing God's love or something. No, go and be a witness wherever you are. But in your convictions and in your callings and in the things that you know that God has said, this is where I want you right now. How easy is it for just any old person to pull you away from that? Do you, have, do you have a sense of connection to the calling that God has placed on your life? To the steps that you need to be taking right now? Because you recognize the authority that God has said, this is where I need your attention, this is where I need your time, this is where I need your energy. So do you sense that this conviction that I have to stay with this? Even when I mess up, I've got to get right back on it. I've got to stay with this. I've got to go after this. 
Because, you know, as the passage says, the fear of the Lord leads to life, then one rests content. There's this truth, well, when you get, get the relationship with God right, and that's set as the foundation for the way that you live, it changes the way that you feel. It changes the way that you act, and it leads to this place of better contentment, and then it says, untouched by trouble. Now, now this is an interesting thing, because as it says, you know, untouched by trouble, there's a sense of, oh, it just means things are going to be easy. Well, it's not exactly what it means. It, 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 it's this kind of difference between trouble will be near you, but trouble won't, won't be able to really get a hold of you. Uh, I, through this series, I'm going to quote some, you know, famous cultural philosophers that, whose opinions really mattered to us last week. It was a quick quote by Taylor Swift, which made some people way too excited to be hearing about Taylor Swift in church. This week is one of my favorite quotes from the philosopher Mike Tyson. Um, Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Right? I I mean, and I say this because it's like, I'm going to church, I'm doing the right things, I wanna do the right things, but then when it gets difficult, when trouble comes around, how, how do we respond when the tension gets high? How, how do we respond when it's not going to plan any longer? When something just got more extravagantly difficult, this was a stress that I wasn't ready for, this was an anxiety I wasn't ready for, and in this text it talks about the fear of the Lord leads to life, then one rests content, untouched by trouble. What, what, what does it mean when we're experiencing trouble even though we, we've got our heart ready for God? And, and this is talking about someone who is mature in their faith. Because maybe you, like me, have gotten into a couple arguments in your lifetime. I've been accused that arguing is one of my love languages. I, I enjoy a healthy, robust debate. But, but there's times where those, those conversations will take a turn where you know, okay, this isn't about us trying to figure out what's true and what's right. This is turned to where you're trying to injure me with words. And, we, and we've been in that spot where it's okay, it's no longer discussion, this is attack. And one of the things that I want to encourage you in is that when, when that moment happens, when, when things get harder than you expected them to in, in a conversation, and this can be with your spouse, this can be with a total stranger, this can be with a family member, this usually happens at the holidays, where it's like this conversation turns into attack. And, and I want to encourage you that what this passage is talking about is describing someone who's mature in their faith, they, they've got that foundation, that fear of the Lord, they're, they're content in Him, and so when trouble comes around, it can't touch them. And, and, and if you have reached... Uh, this point, and I'll call it a point of maturity, uh, because if you're not there yet, this is a place that I believe you need to get to, where someone takes a verbal swing at you, but you're like, I'm not even in that boxing ring. I, I don't have to fight with you about this, be- because I'm, I'm, I'm beyond this. Like, you can try to hit me with those words, but the fact is, you don't have access to my heart. You don't have access to who I am. And the reason you don't have access to who I am or what I believe about myself in my heart and the reason that your words can't attack my identity because my identity has already been settled by what God's word says. My identity is safe and secure. And so your opinion, it doesn't get to touch that. But I'm gonna tell you, the point of maturity is actually even further than than saying what other people say about me isn't gonna influence who I know I am and what my calling is. Another step of maturity even beyond that is is saying it doesn't matter what I feel about myself because some of you guys, the problem isn't someone else attacking you, the problem is you attacking yourself. 
of you saying, I, I don't know if I can fulfill God, God's instruction for my life. I don't know if I can do what scripture calls me to do. I, I don't know if I have the capacity within, you, within me. But the truth is, it's not about your capacity, it's about God's capacity. And some of you guys, you need to understand the attacks that are coming from within are even worse than the attacks that are coming from the outside. And, and this point of maturity of saying, who God says I am, the fact that, you know, I, I'm not bound to the mistakes of the past, but God has said that I'm forgiven, that, that I'm not abandoned, that I am adopted, that I am fully his child that has been chosen and selected and given a mission to live out here on earth. That, that these words that often can be our, wor- our worst enemy, we need to begin to set those to the side and say, you know what, that feeling and that impulse that, that I've been continually rehearsing in my mind is not the truth. God's word is the truth. And I have to cling to that. And when you reach that point of maturity where you understand your identity is found in him, that he has been the foundation you've been building your life upon, then then you rest content and you will be untouched by that trouble. Whether it comes from something in your mind, someone else's words, or some situation that arises, That's the point of maturity that we want to move towards. And this contentment, it's part of understanding what our identity is. So the the first thing that that I want you to take with you this week is what you believe about you has to submit to what God declares about you. This is the foundation that we build our life on. That first, God's opinion matters most. God's opinion is the most true thing about me. And probably more importantly than that, God's opinion about what's going to happen in your future is more important than what you feel is going to happen in your future. Because God's word never fails. When he says, if you live in this manner, it will go well with you, it will go well with you. And when he says, if you live in this manner, it will lead towards destruction, it will lead towards destruction. And you can test it time and time again. And some of us who've lived through a couple years, we can tell you the stories of how we tested it and we learned that God's word is always true. And so so this passage, the fear of the Lord leads to life. Then one rests content. The word content, it's really, it's connected to the concept of peace and rest. In Proverbs 14, 30, we we see this passage that, that talks to the concept and it says, a heart at peace gives life to the body. But, in opposition to that, but envy rots the bones. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. We, we know that the condition of the heart, that our mental state, that, that our emotional state, that the heart describes in this passage, we know that it changes our body a lot. We, we understand that depression can actually cause physical sickness. We, we understand that a healthy heart, it can change physiological, like, the, the things that are going on in your body, it can change processes. Some of us, we, we, we believe that our kids are making our hair fall out. Like, we understand that stress and anxiety, it will affect the body. But, but what the passage says, a heart at peace gives life to the body, that's a feeling that we all want to experience. We will all want to get to the point where we feel like there, there, there is life and there is joy inside of me. But the thing that this passage actually highlights as, as the opponent to peace or to contentment in your body is envy. And it's interesting that envy is talked about even before Instagram was invented. That this issue is not a new issue. The, the fact of looking at what someone else has and saying, ah, oh, that's better than what I have. I wish I had that. If I had that, I would be a happier person. 
That issue has been around for a long, long time. And the way that it's described, it, I almost feel like it should be like a pirate voice saying it, like it rots the bones. The, the Arabic translation, one of the parallel translations of this, used the picture of it's like a moth within a man. This concept of being eaten away from the inside. And an enemy to contentment is envy. The, the, the enemy to you feeling like I have what I need in my life is this natural inclination to look and say, I wish I had what my neighbor had. And it's so natural to our society that we don't really even think about the consequences that it plays inside of our psyche. But what God's word teaches us is that when we allow that envy to just, just live and cycle through us day after day, that what it's actually doing is it's, it's eating you from the inside out. It's rotting you from the inside out. And we look and we, we, we look and we search and we scroll through Amazon and we look through our, our social medias to see what are people doing, what are people buying, what's the coolest thing, and then if I can get a hold of that, then I'm finally going to have something. But what we're doing is we're just searching and we're searching for another thing that's going to be a false promise. Because if you've ever said, oh, if I just had that car, I would be happy, and then about eight months later, you get that car and you're like, man, if I just did not have this car payment and all these car issues, I would be happy. If I could just get into this college, I would be happy. And then once you're there, oh, it's, it's not as good as we thought. And I wish I didn't have this college debt that I got from going to that college instead of the other one. There's so many things that we chase after, chase after. We envy. We're like, oh, this will be it. This will be it. This will finally fill me up. But none of those things will. Because you were designed to be fulfilled and content by one thing only. And that, that is God himself. There is, a, there, there is part of you that was designed in, that, that is supposed to respond in worship, that is supposed to respond with the seeking after him. And until you make him the foundation, none of these things that you try to build your life on are going to hold you up. Comparison, envy, it, it gives us the wrong perspective for what life's supposed to be like. And this is something that we, we go through and we struggle with as well. Um, this last week we were actually... We, we snuck away from, from our kids for a night, and we had a babysitter there, don't worry. But it, it, sometimes it feels like sneaking out of Alcatraz to like get out to a date night, but we managed to do that. And one of the, the topics of conversation that always comes up when we, we, we get out by ourselves is we just kind of go through the, like, how are we doing? And, and for me, at least, whenever we start this how are we doing conversation, one of the first things is I look and kind of just ask, what are all the things that should be better but aren't? What are all the things that I feel like other people our age have, but we don't have? And, and internally in me, I'll tell you, like, I feel that natural compulsion too, to, to when I analyze my life, the first place that I tend to look is just that comparison trap. But then we started talking and we just started listing off the blessings that God has given us. We start listing off the accomplishments that we've made. And, and I would list them off to you, but I'm afraid that like, it might make you envious. Because as I lift them, they, these accomplishments, they'll sound like they just fell out of heaven. And you would miss the sweat and the tears and the fear and the risks and the faith that it took to get to the things that we have. Not that we have a ton, but we're proud of what God has done in our life. But it was a whole lot of work and faith to get there. But even with what we have, I, I feel that natural draw to say, okay, but, 
What should, what should we have that we don't? And, and when we get in that place, we, we, have to, we have to check our heart. Because envy, it's going to rot your bones. It's going to make it impossible for you to enjoy what you have. No matter where you're sitting today, as you have air in your lungs, there are blessings that you should be thankful for. But at the same time, I'll tell you that there are things in your life that you should be striving after. There, there are things, you know, we're, we're talking about contentment, but really as we talk about contentment, there is a level of discontent that I believe is necessary. And I'm going to try not to spin you around too much with words here. But to get to the point where we're content in the right things, we need to be con- discontent about some things. Be, because there's some areas in our life where we're content about something and we should not be content about it. We look and we say, this is how it is, and it's just going to be fine, and it's not going to be fine. There, there are areas in our marriages, there are areas in our faith, there are areas in our finances where, where we're just like, ah, oh, this is just how it is, it's how it's going to be, and we're content about it, and we should feel discontent. Because until we experience enough discontent to say, you know what, God has something better for me in this area, like I know that God is speaking to me, I know that God's instructions call me out of this, Until we have enough discontent, we're not going to have enough desire to do anything, to take action. I mean, when you look at at Peter, when he was in the boat and Jesus was walking on the water. I mean, there's this crazy miracle that happens in Scripture. And Jesus is out on the water and Peter says, Lord, if it's you, call to me and I'll come to you. And, And the other disciples are looking at Peter and they're saying, you're nuts right now. Like, like, no one walks on water. But there was something in Peter's heart that said, I would be better off if I was closer to Jesus, even if it meant me jumping out of a boat into a stormy sea. So often the people around you in your life, when you hear God clearly say, I need you to change something, they're going to look at you the way that the disciples looked at Peter. They're going to look at you and they're going to say, that sounds crazy to take that step. That doesn't sound like you. That doesn't, Peter, you've sailed a long time. You understand what happens when someone jumps overboard. They sink. This doesn't sound like you. But Peter knew what was happening. Peter knew the safest place in that moment to be, and so he stepped out onto the waves. He said, the situation that I'm in right now, I, this, this isn't the situation I want to be in. I want to be closer to him. And the achievements that we've experienced, the, the highlight points in our life, I'm going to tell you, they, they're, they're all connected to this thought that there's an area where we looked at our marriage. There's an area that looked at the way that we communicate with each other. There's an area where we looked at it and we said, you know, the, the, the level of, of joy, the level of fun, the level of passion, right now we're not content with it just staying here. We want, we want to see things get better. And so we put in work, we put in sweat, we put in effort, we put in faith, and we saw God walk us to a whole new place in our life. So I, I, don't, I don't want to talk about contentment and just make you feel like contentment is about sitting still. Contentment is about enjoying what you have and not worrying about having anything else. Contentment is saying, I know that God is enough. I know that his instructions are enough. I know that what he calls me to is what I'm supposed to do. And so if that means leaving something that's good behind in search of something better, that's fine. Because I trust my heavenly father to lead me wherever I have. And and Peter's experience in following Christ, Peter's experience in leading the church after Christ's death and resurrection, it was not always an easy one. 
But, but the, what we see in the life of, of the apostles after Christ's death is the, this contentment that they had, even in difficult circumstances. Paul is a great example of this, and he speaks about this in Philippians 4 that we're going to get to in just a second. But if you don't know anything about Paul, his Hebrew name was Saul. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a leader, which means he, he would have had resources. He would have had wealth. He was most likely married. He had a life. He had things together. He had respect in his community. And what he spent his life doing at the point that we see him in the book of Acts is that he was persecuting Christians, trying to rid the world of them. I mean, he was opposed to Christianity. And he was on his way to try to eradicate some more of them where he had an encounter with Jesus that just changed everything. It changed the entire direction of his life to where he ended up having to give up all of that past life, all of that past respect, all those past resources, and he was serving the church. And as he's doing this, he went through times where he was beaten. He went through times where he didn't have what he needed. He, went, he was arrested many times. He went through difficulty that we probably will never experience. And so just kind of with that in mind, that he had everything that a worldly person could ever want, and he gave it up because he experienced something better. He experienced walking with Christ. And he writes this letter in Philippians 4.10. And this is a passage that's familiar with you, but there's part of it that, that I always like to clarify as we come across this. And it says, how I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. They're concerned because he's going through tough times. I, I know you have always been concerned about me, but didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need. For I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Now I want to stop on that last passage. Keep it up there. This is something that I always like to talk about because as you hear the context of that passage, he's talking about going through suffering. He's talking about going through difficulty. He's talking about going through things without having what other people would think he would need. And then it's translated this way, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Probably the better in the way that we use these terms, the better word would, would be, for I can endure everything through Christ who gives me strength. Now look, I don't know what your picture of walking with God looks like. Some of us have wrongly adopted the, the if you pray, if you give, if you go to church, that everything is just going to be easy all the time. Paul said, I can endure any of these difficulties. I can endure doing without any of these things because of Christ who gives me strength. Now look, this is, this is the foundation, but this is also the key to contentment. This is the foundation for how all of life is lived, but this is what leads us to that point where we feel like our life is full. And it's how your heart and your mind answers the question of, is Christ enough? Band, if you guys will come out, I'm going to begin to wrap this up. How does your heart answer the question of, is Christ enough for me? If I had to do without food for a time because of how I was called to serve Christ, would he be enough? If, if the comfortable chairs in church went away and the air conditioning went away, would Christ be enough for me to come and worship? If Paul all of a sudden started wearing boring clothes and speaking in a monotone voice, 
would Christ be enough? What is our worship about? No, not, not as our worship. What is our life about? Because my desire for you, I want you to have a great life. I want you to have a life that is filled with love and filled with peace. I want you to have a life that no matter what someone else says, that your identity is not shaken. I want to see every blessing come your way. But I've learned to experience God's best. It starts with the realization that I have to make Christ enough. Before I can even really enjoy any of these toys and these fun things, I have to know that Christ is enough in my life. And I know that, you know, early when I first started coming around church, that statement would have been confusing to me. So if you're standing in the same shoes that I was, I get it. But you need to seek this out. You need to try this out. You need to test it. Because when you begin to say yes to God, he begins to do so many things in your heart, in your life, in your family that you never would have expected. You don't know all the plans that your heavenly father has in store for those who love him. You don't know the good things that he has prepared. You don't know the future that he has ahead of you, but you do know in this moment you have decisions to make. And some of us, we have been kind of just straddling the fence and trying to live in two worlds and trying to hang on to Christ, but trying to hang on to worldly happiness. And it's time for you to pick where you're gonna be. Is Christ enough? And each of our faith, there kind of comes like Peter, this, this jump out of the boat moment. Am I gonna set my feet on the water? Am I gonna trust that if I take this step, it doesn't make sense for anything else to hold me up except for Christ? Is Christ enough for you? The, the wisdom, the number two, last week we, we had our statement. This week, this statement's simple. Contentment fills me with life and it fortifies me from circumstances. I want you to experience true contentment. But it starts with that decision, is Christ enough? Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you call us to take a step of faith, but you meet us right there. I thank you that in the face of any difficulty, in the face of any suffering, in the face of any challenge, in the face of any hardship, in the, in the face of sorrow, you meet us right there. And so we have experienced that Christ, you are enough. So we will continue to build our life and our hope and our joy upon you. I thank you that you take us by the right hand and you lead us. For those who are here who are at the beginnings, I just pray that you would give them the courage to take that first step, to say that first yes to you. And as they do, I pray that you would just surround them with the joy that only comes from you. We thank you for the opportunity you've placed in front of us. May we be wise in the way that we react to it. In Jesus' name.